It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, last one of the week. Eviction and the eviction ban gets some mention in the papers today. And we were only talking about it last week on the programme when we had a really heartbreaking um, email in from a listener who said this lying awake at night has been living in the same property for some eight years, but is in dread that her, her landlady may decide to sell the property. And she's just saying, you know, the family are quite settled. She's children going to school in the area. And she says she's constantly keeping an eye out in case the day comes when she'll have to look for for new rented accommodation and just I was just making the point that it's, it's, it's no way to live when you're constantly living in fear that you could lose the roof over your head and we know that there are a number of other people who are living with the eviction ban hanging over their heads and they know that their days and weeks are numbered in their current property and I'm reading in the mail today that a group representing property owners they've already indicated that they will initiate a legal challenge if there is any extension to the eviction ban. Senior Cabinet Ministers met last night to discuss whether they'll extend that ban or not and we can expect a decision sometime next week. Now the former Attorney General, that was Paul Gallagher, he advised the government at the time when they introduced the ban that it could only be done on a time-bound basis and extending it, he felt at the time, extending it beyond March would not work. Now, Paul Gallagher, as we know, he's since been replaced by a different Attorney General. It's uh, Rossa Fanning. And Rossa Fanning seemingly has also advised that the ban was likely to face a legal uh, challenge. Now, a legal challenge hasn't materialised yet, but there's nothing to say that if they extend the ban beyond March that you will get some property owners who will say this is unconstitutional. And according to the Irish Daily Mail, a spokeswoman for the Irish Property Owners Association said, we won't sit idly by and watch our legal rights being diminished. Now, the eviction ban... It's due to expire at the end of this month with any of deferred addiction dates then will be staggered across April, May and June. But people already have these deferred eviction notices. So there are people who know as soon as the ban gets lifted, then they're going to have to start packing their bags and start looking for an alternative uh, property. The Taoiseach Leo Varadkar has always said that a decision will be made and announced before his trip 
uh, on St. Patrick's Day to uh, Washington, but it's, it is now expected sometime next week. But I think the decision, I think people need to know, if for nothing else but for peace of mind, people need to know what exactly are their thoughts and what are they going to do with the eviction ban. Now, the Irish Property Owners Association said the extension would be the fifth iteration of the ban because you have to remember this ban was first introduced during the uh, pandemic and, you know, for some property owners who perhaps maybe do want to sell their house and maybe want to move back into the property, they say it's becoming permanent rather than a temporary ban and it was always introduced as a temporary ban and the uh, continual interference in landlords constitutional property rights that's caused enormous concern among the membership of the Irish Property Owners Association, some of who have already independently consulted with lawyers about instigating a legal challenge uh, to this possible further extension of the eviction ban. Now the Property Owners uh, Association you know, explaining why they want this eviction ban lifted, you know, they're saying that the policymakers are failing to take into consideration these are the property owners that they've got acute cost pressures on landlords. I mean many landlords will have mortgages for example on their properties we know there's been increasing and rising mortgage interest uh, rates. There's also when you look at the tax uh, rates when you compare them to institutional landlords, private landlords pay more in tax and obviously there's other inflationary pressures as well. Now senior government sources last night uh, definitely though ruled out on extending the ban exclusively in Dublin. Now this is something that has been spoken about and, and mooted for quite some time and a wider decision on whether to extend the ban. It's it's still been weighed up by the government. Nobody knows for sure what way the government is going to go. But the argument for introducing the eviction ban was on the basis at the time that our emergency accommodation was literally being overwhelmed and just not able to cope with the numbers that were presenting to the services for emergency accommodation. But none of that has gotten any better. And when you look at the numbers of people who are currently homeless and living in emergency accommodation, none of that has changed since the eviction ban was first introduced. But the majority of the emergency accommodation uh, is affecting people living in the Dublin area. So it essentially is a Dublin problem. That's not to say that we don't have people living in emergency accommodation around the country. We do. But the vast bulk of the people living in emergency accommodation is in Dublin. So it's Dublin is the area that has the biggest problem with people trying to find suitable accommodation and affordable accommodation. For example, the latest homeless figures, this is just on the the number of adults. It shows that 71% of all of the homeless adults are actually based in Dublin. Now, the southwest region, which will include us here in Cork City and uh, County, and it also takes in uh, Kerry, that's the second highest. But when you look at the figures there for Cork and Kerry, the homeless figures overall is at 7%. For adults, it's 585 people in the Cork and Kerry area living in emergency accommodation. When you base that against just under 6,000 adults, the rest of course obviously are, and we know the figures are about over 11,000 but they're made up of um, adults and children. These are just adults on on their own. So the bulk, it is really a Dublin problem. So you can see why at one stage that idea got mooted. If you're going to leave the eviction ban, could you leave it exclusively in Dublin? But it looks like that has been ruled out. So 
Cabinet meeting ahead last night. Let's wait and see with a decision expected to be announced next week. But certainly uh, that's not to say that we don't have a homeless situation here in uh, Cork. We certainly do. And overnight, actually, we had an email in from Michelle, one of our listeners, who said it was absolutely heartbreaking to talk to a homeless lady uh, one last night in Cork City. She was on Winthrop, Winthrop Street. She had one filthy duvet and that's what she was using to keep her warm. She was using wheels for support when she was walking. And when Michelle spoke to her, she explained that she's waiting on a hip operation. So she has mobility issues. What kind of a country are we living in? Writes Michelle. I did get in touch with one of the services that are feeding uh, people who are rough sleeping on the streets in Cork and asked them if they would go and see her. And they said they are very aware of this woman and her case. I would have brought her home with me if I could. She had gone to get emergency accommodation, obviously in one of the night shelters, I'm assuming, but all the beds were taken. There is absolutely no way that a homeless lady like this with a disability should be sent back out on our streets uh, to sleep. I was sickened and disgraced and, and sick, uh, sickened and dis- disgraceful that this can happen in our wonderful city, says uh, Michelle. That really does sound like um, a a very, very sad case indeed. And I wonder what the backstory is. I mean, the fact that the services, the, 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 the feeding services, the people that go out on the Simon runs, I'm assuming people like that and the Feed Cork group, they're very aware of this uh, woman. But you would wonder, particularly with a disability like that, why accommodation hasn't been found for her. Very sad indeed. Email into the programme room. You can always email the programme Cork today at c103.ie. And the listener doesn't want her name called out, which is fine, saying, Hi, Patricia, I was listening yesterday in the car to that woman, Catherine, who was speaking about her daughter who had self-amputated her finger due to the pain that her daughter was going through. I too suffer from CRPS and CRPS, as Catherine was explaining to us yesterday, is complex regional pain syndrome. Now, Our listener says, I developed the condition after poor aftercare for surgery on a broken ankle. Please don't read out my name, but I would like people to know that this pain is unimaginable. Sometimes I only sleep for two hours a night. I also would like to have my foot amputated to get rid of the pain. But of course, whenever I mention this, it's considered a sign of depression. I have lost my job. I have lost my life. I can only wear a shoe comfortably for about two hours a day. I have received no care from the hospital in Cork. I've had to go privately, having requested referrals myself. I was once a very fit active nurse. I worked right throughout the first months of COVID in the community. Now I can only walk short distances and I have to either use a stick or a walking frame. I arranged to have a balance assessment which showed I've 85% increased chance of falls. I understand despair. I worked for many years for the HSC. I saw the decline in care. But realise now it is dangerous to actually go into hospital at times. I spent many weeks in a bed as an inpatient last year and I can honestly say I was traumatised by my experience. So there's somebody else living with this complex regional pain syndrome. And it's it's 
if you Google it, because it's one of those things when you see it, you think, God, what exactly is this? It's a broad term and it describes excessive and prolonged pain and inflammation and it always follows an injury to an arm or, or a leg and it's to, you get diagnosed with this complex regional pain uh, syndrome when it lasts more than six months and that's exactly what happened to Catherine's daughter. Hers was, was a simple enough accident in that she cut her finger in a car door or cut her hand in a car door but it was her middle finger had this just unbelievable as our listener says the pain is just unimaginable and she went to such lengths that she self-amputated her finger though she unfortunately she's left herself worse off because she's been left with the stump and the nerves are still in the stump so she still has the pain and it is nerve pain but there's a listener whose whole life has been uh, destroyed by it had to give up her job as uh, a nurse always oh, thank you for your email by the way and uh, I, I wish you well and I hope that you get the, the care that you need and I mean even the thought of having that an amputation is the only way to get rid of the pain you get, you cut off the site where the pain is to get rid of it seems really extreme but when I was looking into it, it, it there were a number of people have actually gone down that route and have actually had the part of their body where they have this complex regional pain syndrome and have actually had it uh, removed because by all accounts painkillers don't seem to work on this level of pain. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Now, following revelations that hurling legend DJ Carey had millions of euro written off his debt in 2017, AIB Bank were before the Oireachtas Finance Committee yesterday to explain how these write offs occurred. Solidarity Doll Deputy Mick Barry is a member of that Finance Committee and he joins me this morning. Morning. Good morning to you, Mick. Good morning to you, Patricia. And you're you're welcome to the programme. Now, it now seems from the evidence that was presented by AIB Bank yesterday, it wasn't just DJ Carey who had write-offs. There were some people had write-offs of up to 90%. Yes, uh, there were 1,900 uh, customers of AIB Bank, according to their managing director uh, of retail banking, Jim O'Keefe. 1,900 write-downs of 90% or more. Um, So yes, what you're saying there is correct. Did they give an overall figure of how much was written off? Um, They did, eventually. (laughs) Um, So um, Jim O'Keefe was asked by the AIN2 deputy, Padder Tobin, if uh, he could give a total of uh, the amount written down by a- AIB in the period uh, to 2015 to 2022, right? Um, Mr. O'Keefe indicated that um, there would be a difficulty with that because the 2022 accounts are, are only being finalised at the moment. Uh, I think he said they were down to the wire in relation to those uh, accounts. And in any case... Um, it was information which was in the public domain because each year they published the total of write-downs. So when it, when it came my turn to question Mr. O'Keefe, I said, yeah, okay, well, look, I accept that the 2022 accounts are not complete yet, but surely you can give us the figures for 2015 to 2021. Mm. And if, if, the, if they're out there in the public, um, in the annualised accounts, you're surely aware of of when you add them all up together, uh, what it is, right? So um, we were back and forth on that for uh, a wee bit, and 
he said, yes, that there is a, a figure uh, and it's 3.5 billion euro, right? So 3.5 billion euro written off by AIB Bank. But that, that is not just for the 1,900 uh, write downs that were for 90% or more of the unpaid debt. Uh, that's for all, all of the yeah. write downs in total. Yes. Was there any evidence that some customers were given preferential treatment? Because obviously that's what was at the back of your mind going into that meeting yesterday. Well, I don't think it was just at the back of my mind. I think it was in the back of the minds of the general public uh, after the news um, about DJ Carey broke. Uh, is there one rule for the, 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 the rich and the famous and one rule uh, for the rest of us? Certainly, I had many people contact me and talk about how they had been uh, aggressively pursued uh, by the banks, uh, hounded was a phrase that often came up, uh, and some people with stories of how they felt they had been hounded to the point um, that their mental health had been compromised, uh, and there was, you know, a, a real feeling of grievance um, on the part of uh, uh, those people who had contacted me. Um, Mr. O'Keefe uh, was at pains to. Uh, make the argument that they have a, a system in the bank uh, which is applied across the board uh, to all customers uh, irrespective of their level of fame or their level of income right uh, i'm reporting here what he said yes mm-hmm. um, so essentially what he said was that where, where there is um uh, unpaid uh, loan for example a mortgage loan um, that they will engage with the person um, uh, and won't go legal as long as the person is engaging with them. And uh, this, this is what they said. Uh, and that there would be an evaluation of their assets, uh, of their sustainable income and of their prospects. And that there would be uh, a deal put in place or a solution which might include uh, a write down if the bank felt that there was no alternative to it. And that anyone who would get windfall cash within a period of five years inheriting a house, win it, win the lottery or whatever, that that would be included uh, as part of their, their income and assets. So, uh, and then that that rule is pl- applied equally uh, across uh, across the board. So, myself and in fairness, other members of the committee said, okay, uh, well, let's have a look at this in practice. Um, if there were 1,900 write-downs of 90% and more, how many of those 1,900 customers, for example, Sinn Féin Deputy Pierce Doherty asked, uh, would have had uh, debts uh, or write-downs uh, of more than, say, 1 million euro, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and Mr. O'Keefe um, did not provide the answer to that question to the committee. Uh, he said that there were some, I think he said, I stand to be corrected on this, I think his argument in relation to that was that there could be some commercial sensitivities around that. And we said, well, look, you're a publicly owned bank. Members of the public paid in 21 billion euro to bail out your bank. and They have a right to know, know. yeah. yeah. And and it would be interesting to get a breakdown of the 1900 people who got write-downs of 
you know, how many of them were big, big loans as opposed to small loans of somebody who perhaps was at risk of losing their house or at risk of losing their business. Yes, well, that information was not provided to the committee, but under pressure, I think, and questioning from myself and, in fairness, other members of the committee, commitments uh, were given uh, to um, discuss the situation uh, within the, the, the top ranks of the bank and to um, report back to the committee and to the deputies in relation to two issues. Number one, how many of the 1,900 were people who had uh, unpaid debts of a million euro or more or who had write-downs of a million euro or more? And secondly, and apparently this exists, um, it was indicated that there is data on this, uh, a kind of socioeconomic breakdown uh, of who were the 1,900. In other words, how many were developers? How many were uh, farmers? Uh, how many were unemployed workers who'd lost their jobs? Uh, and so on. So I think it's it's up to the members of the committee now to take those assurances and to press to make sure that that information uh, is delivered and made public um, uh, over the next... Uh, yeah, because I, 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 I saw that um, Robert Troy, the Fianna Fáil, uh, committee member, uh, you know, he was citing an example of somebody he knew who owed the AIB bank €750,000 at the time of the crash. Now, they were engaging with the bank uh, and they offered to pay 400000 which would have been uh, 52%, you know, so they were really making an effort. But it was rejected outright by the bank. And I'm sure yeah. a lot of other TDs would be able to find similar stories from their constituents all over the country. Uh, yes, many stories like that. Um, of course, the reply from Mr. O'Keefe and the bank was that um, uh, essentially what he's saying is, you know, we will get as much money out of people as we can, irrespective of whether they're rich or poor or in the middle. Uh, but, you know, People have had their own experiences of, of, of dealing with AIB and other banks and, and will draw their own conclusions in relation to that. I, I made the point myself that even if the bank's argument that there's a set of rules that are applied equally across the board uh, is uh, correct or broadly correct, it still represents a bias in favour of the wealthier uh, people uh, and against the rest of people because it's it's like the old saying um, that the older people used to say you know if if you owe the bank 5000 you've got a real problem but if you owe the bank 5 million they've got well, the, then problem. the bank has <laughs> the a real problem yeah 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 okay yeah. all right so we'll we'll wait and see there's more, there's more certainly more to go on this story and just uh, before we let you go I mentioned at the at the top of the program about the extension of the eviction ban and by all accounts senior cabinet ministers uh, met last night to discuss to discuss whether to extend the ban uh, or not and, and a decision is expected next week I know Leo Varadkar has said a decision will be made uh, before he heads away on on St Patrick's Day I mean that eviction ban uh, is due to finish at the end of this month. People need to know, don't they, what exactly is happening? Well, I, I tell you, Patricia, I, I've been watching the body language and, and listening very carefully and reading between the lines as to what senior ministers are saying. And I have to say to you that at this point, 
that although the official line is, well, there's pros and there's cons and we're weighing it up and we'll be talking to the Attorney General, etc. I think they are preparing the ground uh, towards uh, lifting the eviction ban. And I made the point to Michal Martin, made the point to the Tarnashda yesterday. He, he got uh, slightly agitated, I thought, when the point was made. Um, that if they lift the eviction ban, that that is an act of political extremism. It's um, free market extremism if they lift that ban. And I know that's strong language, but the reason I said it is we, we found out on Friday of last week that there are record numbers of people now in emergency accommodation in the state, including a record number of children. Any TD or anyone in the media who has their eyes open and, and, and their ears open will know that there is a large number of people who will be out the door relatively quickly after that ban is lifted, their eviction notices in the pipeline, so to speak. That inevitably will mean that the numbers of homeless people in our state will rise to a level that has never been seen before. I would question as to whether the emergency accommodation services, and I know that there are many good people working within them and they're to the stretched to the, they're at the pin of their collar trying to cope. But I would imagine that the emergency accommodation services could very well be unable to cope. Well, they're already, they're already overwhelmed with the number of people that are presenting. And that was one of the arguments to introduce the eviction ban was on the basis that the emergency accommodation uh, was so overwhelmed and nothing has got better since the ban was introduced. Yes, the government had an opportunity there for a number of months to seize the time and to to really put in place uh, alternative accommodation for people at the sharp end of the housing crisis. Now, I've heard government ministers say that you can't build social and affordable houses at the click of a fingers in the space of three months. And, you know, of course you can't. But there, there are many things that, that could be done and that should have been done that they haven't. For example... Um, you go into Cork City Centre, uh, you take a mile, uh, a walk, two mi- two kilometres in any direction, two square kilometres. There are 700 derelict buildings <laughs> within that two square uh, kilometres, some of which are large enough to, to hold multiple households. There are, in, uh, within that radius, there are 300 uh, council properties uh, sorry, not within the radius, but within the city, 300 ca- council properties that are vacant um, that could be uh, rapidly refurbished in many cases. And the, the government have sat on it. And if they, lift, if they lift the ban now, I can see a situation by the start of the summer that you will have whole families with children in tow presenting to guard stations of an evening and pleading with the people on the desk to open up the station so that uh, uh, people can have a place to stay oh, for goodness. the night and, and not goodness. be out on the streets. I would hate I hate to think we'd end up with a scenario like that, but, but, but certainly our emergency accommodations but, already but, are but overwhelmed. Look, but look, look oh. let's not be resigned about it. Let's yeah. say that the decision has yet to be made. Yeah. I think they're leaning that way. I, I would urge people, whether it's a text or an email or go, you know, uh, go to their, their offices or whatever, Go to the government politicians over the next two or three days and say to them, 
no way. You you must keep this eviction ban in place. And 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 if you can get them on the air, and 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 ask them a few tough questions, they need to be put under pressure on this. Yeah, and then why the eviction ban is in place? They need to do something about the housing. And I, and I know and I know they will say how many houses that they've built. But you but you are right about uh, de- um, vacant properties. They certainly need to be turned around. I'm over on time, uh, unfortunately, Mick. Uh, but I've got to leave it there. But listen, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us on the program this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Cork City Solidarity Doll Deputy uh, Mick Barry. Cork Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 Now, yesterday on the programme, I mentioned that since this day last week, Cork County Council their fire service had responded to 71 gorse and vegetation fires now primarily in the West Cork area. Now under the Wildlife Act gorse fires are banned since Wednesday the 1st of March and that ban remains in place until the end of August. But will we, will we be back reporting on similar fires again next year? Podrick Fogarty is with the Irish Wildlife Trust and Podrick uh, joins me this morning. Good morning to you Podrick. Good morning. And you're welcome. These gorse fires happen every single year and there's always a rush uh, to get the gorse or the vegetation burnt off before the ban comes in on the 1st of March. Are there other methods that landlords could use? Yes. So as you say, this happens uh, every year uh, uh, without fail and we see huge parts of the country uh, go up in smoke. Uh, it's kind of bizarre that this was legal this time last week and it's or sorry, it was legal this time last week and then illegal this week when the damage is exactly the same, uh, you know, regardless of uh, the time of year, really. Um, and, uh, and I think it's an important question that you ask. Are there other ways that we could be managing the hills? And, uh, and I think the answer is absolutely yes. Um, we know that these hills are mostly peatlands, which means they're absolutely essential stores of carbon. Uh, they were once upon a time, at least, really important for biodiversity. And they're hugely important for amenity and for the people who live there. So um, I think if we were to move to a system that rewarded uh, traditional farming with cattle, uh, rewarded rewilding, that is you know, the creation of native woodlands and healthy bogs, uh, and reward the farmers for doing that alongside uh, high nature value uh, programmes. Then we could move from uh, a system whereby our uplands really are just used for sheep and sitka spruce plantations to uh, a landscape that is much more diverse, much more active uh, in terms of people and also uh, for nature. But unfortunately, we really have seen nothing happen. Uh, You know, it's all very well for ministers to be coming out reminding people of the law around the dates, but this doesn't help anybody. Um, You know, we haven't seen the really important shift in policy uh, away from the damaging activities we have at the moment and towards a different kind of uplands that actually rewards uh, stewardship and good behaviour. So you're saying that the political will isn't there and, and yet, you know, you think we we have another the smaller coalition party, but we do have the Greens in government. 
Well, I mean, I don't want to be piling the pressure on the Greens. They're only a small part of uh, of the government. Um, this is mostly an agricultural problem, um, uh, or should I say it is mostly an issue within the Department of Agriculture because the hills, if they're not being farmed with sheep, they're being uh, managed uh, or mismanaged maybe by Quilcha, which is a state-owned body within the, uh, which reports to the Minister for Agriculture. So the Minister for Agriculture has a huge role for this, and that's, of course, Charlie McConnell who's with uh, Fianna Fáil. Now, the Green Party uh, Minister, Malcolm Noonan, is also responsible for our protected areas. These are the special areas of conservation and many hill areas are within these uh, these places. Um, and these have been completely mismanaged as well. I mean, the European Court of Justice is, is taking us to the dock for having no management measures whatsoever for these places. So it's, it's, it's difficult to pinpoint, um, you know, one particular minister or department uh, who's responsible for all of this, but there is a collective responsibility on the state more than farmers or more than local communities or anybody else uh, to act on this and we just haven't seen the uh, the initiatives uh, coming Yeah from and them. of course over the years we've seen you know some of these fires when they get out of control I mean everybody remembers the destruction caused by the fire in Killarney National Park and that was about uh, two years ago and then back in 2017 we'd we'd all the gorgeous land around uh, Gugambara I mean some of these fires can get out of control very quickly yeah, and you'd imagine these particularly high-profile events would, you know, act as some kind of a watershed moment to say, OK, lads, we need to start doing things differently. Uh, two years since the fire that wiped out Killarney National Park, you know, what has happened? Uh, nothing. Uh, there was a fire in Killarney National Park last week. So we're not seeing practices change on the ground. We're not seeing a change in the messaging from the people who are responsible for managing these areas. We're not seeing the investment that's needed, despite the fact that these areas are absolutely critical for climate and biodiversity and water and people. I think the problem is they're not they're not producing dairy products, really. They're not producing large volumes of products for export markets. And so um, the government has very little interest in them because they're not generating that kind of an income uh, and I think it's you know I'm putting it quite bluntly because um, I think that's what's what's at the heart of it. Okay and, and I take it then you would worry when you'd hear groups like uh, the Kerry IFA wanting the burning season to be extended until April. I mean, it's exactly the opposite uh, that we need. Uh, we need a ban on all kinds of burning. Uh, you know, focusing on, on the date of March 1st is not really helpful. Uh, we need different practices that don't involve burning uh, the, the, the landscapes, the ground. Um, and that's why if we were to move towards rewilding alongside high nature value farming, I think we could uh, not only uh, match the incomes that farmers are getting at the moment, but improve on them, uh, create a greater economic diversity in hill areas and create a place that's pleasant to live. I mean, people are living in these areas at this time of year and they're terrified. Yeah. They're looking at, at clouds of smoke coming down the hill into their houses. It's enormously stressful for these people. Yeah, so well, yeah, I know I mentioned it yesterday, the fire service spent so much time protecting people's uh, homes and that was the reality of what happened, particularly last weekend. OK, Baudrick, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you so much. Good morning to you. That is Podrick uh, Fogarty and he represents the Irish Wildlife Trust. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay.
Phone and text lines are currently closed. And we've been talking about high electricity bills on the programme this week. And of course, the advice always is that if people get a really high electricity bill that they can't pay, uh, you're told immediately contact your energy provider. Well, a listener this morning is coming in the last hour says, we've been told to contact our energy supplier, re enormous bills. Well, that's what I'm doing this morning. I'm now four hours on the phone waiting for help. My God four hours let us know how you get on you need so the word from that is if you are trying to get on to your electricity supplier you're going to need the patience of a saint uh, as well four hours is an excessively long period of time let us know how you get on when you finally get through to speak to a human being and, and what help were they able to give you because I do know yesterday when I spoke about that hundred year old woman who got the bill of just under a thousand euro God love her and she living on her own and it was her nephew was trying to help her out and he'd got on to her electricity supplier to say look she's this huge bill she lives on 200 euro a week you know what do you suggest and the suggestion from the energy company was she could pay it off in 10 weekly instalments which on my calculation meant that half of her 200 euro pension every week would be going to pay off that one electricity bill and by the time that was paid off the next bill would be due in and yet she would be expected to live then on the 100 euro to pay for everything else it, it really that to me didn't add up as helping this person with an enormous bill so let us know how you get on when you finally uh, do get through get through 0818103103 I mentioned and discussed gorse fires in the last hour and we now know Wildlife Act is in place since the 1st of March so please God we shouldn't be seeing any more of these gorse fires but are we going to be back this time next year talking about the very same thing all over again some of that's why we spoke with the Irish Wildlife Trust to say you know what else can landowners do John and Cove was on to say in all fairness a donkey wouldn't would know would not do what they are doing they seem to always wait this is landowners some landowners seem to always wait until there is a gale of wind blowing because all that does then is fuel the fire and then puts it out of control if they must burn the gorse and the vegetation why not wait for a calm day Irene in Bantry said we had gorse fires here in Bantry and right along the Bearer Peninsula but people forget the impact that it can have on those who are living near these fires the health implications of breathing, breathing in this smoke and by the way, it stays in the air for a long time after the fire has gone out. Maria is in Goleen. She said, we had gorse fires. But my worry was one of them was so very close to the radar equipment up on Mount Gabriel. What happens if the radar equipment had caught fire? Who will be responsible if there was tens of thousands of euro worth of equipment destroyed? And I don't know. I simply don't know the answer. I do know that was a, a particularly bad fire and there was worry about that radar equipment but they thankfully are very, very brave. Uh, fire service got it under control. And the final one in by text on gorse fires. The future will be, we will have barren seas in that we will have no fish. Why? It's due to overfishing. We'll also have barren hills. We won't have any wildlife and we won't have any trees due to all the burning. The conifer trees do not support much wildlife so they really don't account. There's somebody else worried about the future of this uh, of our beautiful land. 0818 103 103. Some other your texts coming in. Hi Patricia. Uh, you spoke yesterday to a gentleman about a schooner boat named the Kathleen and May. I did. I spoke with John Kelly uh, from Yall because they're trying to they're, they've got a campaign together. They're trying to get the money together to buy this schooner ship that had so much connection to the town of Yall and they want to bring it back and birth it in Yall permanently and it would then be a tourist attraction. Well, this texter says, my grandfather 
George Edward Limerick from Union Hall sailed and worked abroad, abroad, abroad worked aboard, sorry, that same ship, the Kathleen and May. It was under the time a Captain Jewel. Uh, I know he went to see it being restored when it was being restored in the United Kingdom. There are photographs and he also has a mug from the ship in his uh, home. I'm going to have to ask my uncle if they, if he still has them and hopefully he does and wouldn't it be great for him to bring some of those photographs in, please God, that the schooner ship does come back and does get permanently birthed in Yall and it will be a lovely trip for him uh, to go uh, to go to actually go back onto the boat uh, knowing that one day th- that he had once worked a- on it 0818 uh, John from Holy Cross Place in Charleville says Patricia can you find out uh, when the traffic lights in Holy Cross Place in Charleville near Aldi are going to be fixed before someone will be killed trying to cross the road I spoke to John Paul and he said he's been on to the council about it and also some other traffic lights I think he said him in McCroom and we're, we are waiting on replies so we are reaching out and trying to find out what is happening with that particular set of traffic lights in Charleville. Hang in there, John, and to everyone else. Be very careful when you're crossing the roads at that particular set of traffic lights near Aldi in uh, Charleville. And Eileen says, Patricia, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Can you please find out what are the dental benefits that you have if you have a medical card? Can you find out is teeth cleaning? Uh, Is that one of the services if you have a medical card? Okay, medical card holders are entitled to free dental examination in each calendar year as well as any extractions that are required. One first stage root canal treatment is also available every year but that's only for teeth at the front of the mouth and you also then are entitled to two fillings free for every calendar year but I mean it doesn't mention cleaning so if you go to a dentist on your medical card I'm assuming you can opt to have your teeth cleaned which you're going to have to pay separately because it doesn't mention that and what you are entitled to but I can tell you if you don't already have a dentist you may be in for a bit of a shock trying to locate a dentist that is taking medical card patients because we've done so many interviews in the last number of years about this so many dentists are opting out of the state scheme for medical cards because the Dental Association have been telling us us that the state scheme is simply not fit for purpose um, and they said it, it's just not working it doesn't pay them to be involved in the medical card scheme so you will have a problem trying to get a dentist who will take you on as a medical card patient and that's not to say it's not impossible um, but you will find it you will find it hard and I don't know where you're texting from 0818103103 now yesterday on the programme I was talking about the chief medical uh, officer uh, Professor Breda Smith, because she had put out an open letter this week to older people in uh, Ireland, and she it's part of a multimedia campaign that she's calling "Hello Again World," and in her letter to older people in Ireland, she was addressing the isolation and loneliness that has been experienced by older people since the start of the pandemic, during the pandemic, and unfortunately, it still exists. And her message to older people uh, uh, in this letter was if. If you haven't yet returned to doing the things that you love, I'm encouraging you to do so now. And, you know, and she went on, you know, to explain that, you know, while 
it's much it's a much safer world out there now than it was in the early days of the pandemic and she wants to take the opportunity to tell people to please go back and start doing the things that you love you know she suggested things like go to your card games go to your cookery class go to mass if you're a member of a men's shed go back do all of the things that you loved doing and she said the best prescription for better health and well-being is to get out and meet people and I mentioned that on the programme yesterday and I said is there anyone you know listening to us who's still very much almost still cocooning as people were asked to do in the early days and are you fearful about going going out and it prompted Nancy one of our listeners in Bantry to contact us and she said yeah she absolutely admits she's one of those people that is just finding it very difficult to get back onto what she in her own words was an even even keel she said she's at the stage now where she's just happy to stay at home. She's gotten into the habit of staying indoors. She said the actual thought of going out is almost now foreign to her. She she doesn't go to Mass. I think she used to go to Mass every day. She now goes to Mass just once a week and that's on a Friday. She hasn't even gone back to going to Mass on a Sunday. She gets Mass online instead. She said her phone is her link to the outside uh, world. And she said people call in to see her but she's no, her interest she says uh, it's gone. And she also said she almost feels like it's hard to sh- shake off what she's now call, c- calling a type of laziness. She's feeling herself, oh, it's too much bother, you know, to get dressed, maybe put on a bit of makeup, do the hair and go out and just, no, I'm better off. I'm going to stay at home. And she said, you know, her life and she feels she's speaking on behalf of other older people that are their lives. She said, My life has changed. And now it's almost like we're stuck with it. And I was trying to encourage her, as Professor Breda Smith is doing as well, to say, you know, there's a lovely world out there and you are missing out. And And I do think that line about the best prescription for better health and well-being is to go out and is to engage with people and get and get back out there. Now, Eileen out on Bear Island contacted us when she heard me mention Nancy yesterday. And she said she remembers after her mastectomy, she went through a period of that where she didn't really want to go out and kind of got caught into a little bit of uh, a rush but we've spoken with Eileen on many occasions in the past from uh, Bear Island she fought against it and went back out and went back out into the world and is engaging with uh, people again so I think her message to Nancy would be try and I said yesterday small little baby steps but we also had some other people contacted us for example Mary uh, says on people like Nancy who don't want to go out I think if you're a person who never contracted Covid during the pandemic then certainly there still is this huge fear of actually getting COVID. Mary said, I was really minding uh, myself, but then I got COVID. But I'm glad to say I did survive. I was very sick at uh, the time. But now I know that I've had COVID. I know what it's like and my life has returned to normal. I'm still very careful when I go out and about, Mary said, cleaning her hands. She'll always avoid sick friends, for for example. So she would suggest uh, to Nancy, at least start going back to Mass on a Sunday and just do all the small little baby steps but mind yourself you know look after yourself bring your hand sanitizer with you if you feel a little bit more comfortable wearing masks then you know feel free to wear masks but Mary would also be encouraging Nancy to get back uh, out there and then another texture no name on this the side Patricia listening to Nancy uh, there yesterday on your programme maybe she likes being at home on her phone and in her own company. Maybe if she went for a walk or just went out into the garden. Yes, I agree. There is a big, beautiful world out there to explore. But sometimes a lot of these social groups can actually be full of annoying people who who love to talk about themselves and nothing else. So that's, I think... 
I think that's a diff, slightly different argument. That's socialising and going around people that you don't really uh, enjoy. What I'm trying to encourage Nancy to do is to get back into or maybe take up a hobby that she will enjoy and maybe through it that she will make new friends. But if you're in a social setting where you're around annoying people who enjoy nothing more than talking about themselves, then you need to move to a different social group. 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103 C103 Jobs Car Mechanic is wanted it's for the Glanmire area 087 4481731 Community employment vacancies are available for general operatives for the maintenance of amenity areas in the Can- in the Canturk and Newmarket areas 087 6862013 Part-time receptionist is required for DNG Galvin auctioneers in Bandon. Now, experience in the property industry would be an an advantage. CVs, please, and a cover letter to info at mgalvin.ie. And a part-time bookkeeper is wanted for a busy agricultural garage in the Dunamore area. Text 087-233-7348. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The issue of fly tipping was raised in the Dáil this week with Fine Gael Cork East Dáil Deputy David Stanton saying fly tipping in rural areas and on our country roads is a national shame. Deputy David Stanton uh, joins me. Good morning to you, David. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome. Now, fly tipping, unfortunately, has always been there. But do you believe it's getting worse? Yeah, I think it is. Um, you know, I mean, I know the tidy towns people do great work in the towns and around the edges of towns, and we've had the clean coasts there as well, doing fantastic work, and Antashka and uh, and so on, and uh, eyeball the, uh, the industry against litter. But the 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 issue is you go out into rural rural Ireland, um, and especially this time of the year when the vegetation has been cut back and, and, it's, and it's quite low, and you see all the stuff that's there. Um, I was in a very remote area recently, and I saw, you know, black bags just dumped in of household rubbish and nappies and all kinds of toxic stuff. Um, you know, you see the stuff being thrown out of cars or out of the towns when the chip bag is empty, it just thrown out of the car, the bottles, the cans, and it goes on and on. And then there are people who clean the stuff up, and then the following week it's almost as bad again. I, I, it's a national disgrace. It's a shame. It's dangerous. Um, it's unsightly, and it's terrible for tourists concerned or people coming to our country. And we have a most beautiful, beautiful country, as I said in Dahl the other night. And yet people insist on doing this. I, whether it's people not thinking, whether they're brainless, whether they don't care. It's unpatriotic in every way. Um, and, and again, thank, thanks to you and your programme today for highlighting this and I'm asking people to yeah. please, please stop it. Yeah, and, and, and I guarantee you now we will be inundated with people talking about different areas where they live, where they're or fly tipping or where rubbish uh, is being dumped. The, the, the bags of domestic rubbish, is that simply down to people trying to avoid bin charges? It, it could very well be. Um, and again, there was talk a number of years ago that every house should prove that they were paying for bins. But uh, whether or not it is, um, it's no excuse uh, in any to, to do it. Um, it that, but that's, that's only part of it. I mean, mm. I have seen cans, bottles, wine bottles, nappies, just 
dumped out of cars as people go along and just, you know, in all kinds of... And then people bring stuff out into, into very scenic areas. Um, I've seen um, sofas and fridges and televisions and there's no need for that because yeah. all the electrical stuff can be recycled. Yeah, that, that one I have to say particularly annoys me yeah. when we get photographs in of a lot of those white goods yeah. being dumped in, you know, it's usually forestry areas. Somebody's gone to the bother because obviously that's not something you can just carry. So somebody's gone to the bother of transporting them to this area and in some cases they've probably driven past uh, we have wonderful civic amenity sites. It just, it really frustrates me that people won't use the civic amenity Sites. Absolutely. And uh, it, it, whether it's people don't care, whether it's laziness or, or just bravado, I don't know. But it's it's appalling to see. Uh, I was coming home recently on a Sunday morning and I came across two black bags out in the rural area, not far from where I live, just thrown there. Uh, and they weren't there long, but the crows were just about to get working on tearing them apart to get what was in them. I mean, this is what you're up against. Um, sometimes bags are thrown so they're not accessible. They're just dumped into into briars or into gullies and stuff. And they, they can pollute, whatever in them, they can pollute the waterways or rivers and on and on. So really, when I said the Dáil Dáil Net, we need a year-round campaign. We need to, sh- to, to really and truly get this into people's heads that stop this thing. I know there's an awful work going on and the Minister says he agrees with everything I said in the Dáil the other night, Deputy Noonan, that um, w- we have the green flags in the schools that young children now are, and young people are very aware of the environment and climate change and all the rest of it. And This is all part of that. So what we really need to do is to have a national campaign ongoing, non-stop, everywhere to keep the country clean, to be patriotic, to bring your waste home and don't dot me on the dog on the dog dirt. I mean, that's that's just a oh, whole living yeah, all together yeah. again. So I said to the, to the minister, it needs a champion. It needs somebody in every local authority who's really going to push this very hard. The local authorities are responsible. And they are doing their best they can. I've seen signs up that they've put up to try and remind people to take things home. But no matter where, and we also need to encourage people to pick the stuff up because if you have a place that's littered, that encourages more litter. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, because that was one of one of the things I was thinking of. I mean, do we need to give the council more funding so that they can get out and clean up areas as quickly as possible? Because if you leave any type of rubbish before very long, it almost becomes a dump site. Well, last year, the local authorities got 750,000 for anti-litter and anti-graffiti awareness grant schemes. And they are doing the best they can, but they can't be everywhere all the time. Um, and it's up to people themselves to take responsibility themselves. I mean, in the main, it's adults that are doing this. Mm. Uh, and, and they need to, especially if you if you come out from a, from, a, from a town, you go a certain distance and you'll see where the chip bag was finished. And it's just lobbed out into the into the ditch and the bottle and the can and the whole lot of it. And then local people then go out and they try and pick it up. And that's quite dangerous as well, by the way, because I mean, you need roads are quite busy now and picking rubbish off a country road can be quite dangerous. You need your, your signs up and you need um, high-vis vests and so on. Uh, I pay a tribute massively to the tidy townspeople in our towns who are doing tremendous work. Uh, in Cove, for instance, they got all kinds of recognition there, gold medals and all kinds of stuff for the work they've done. How much, wor- how much worse off would we be without those volunteers? Absolutely. It would be appalling, but they are doing good work and we need to encourage and support people to do that and give them the safety mechanisms as well that they need. By the way, we had a tragedy here last night. I want to just pay tribute to the man that was killed and, and send condolences to his family just outside Middleton last night, which yeah. is terrific as well. But horrific. But definitely, I know that Tom Cavanagh did an awful lot of good work in um, with, the eyeball. With, with the eyeball yeah. in, in, in years gone by and that, that really has 
shown results. The clean coasts in Ballinamona, the people in St. Cummins Community College in Middleton, Francis O'Toole and others have done great work in Peter Blitz along the coastline. Now how that is washed in. But my issue the other night was the rural roads, the wild places that are being despoiled and ruined by people throwing away bags of litter and just throwing litter generally and leaving it out and not taking it home with them. Okay. So I'm appealing no, to people yeah, to stop that. But a lot of people are asking, does more need to be done to prosecute offenders? Particularly well, with the fly tipping. Yeah, the Minister did actually mention that to me last night. The law is being, is being changed with regard to CCTV cameras so that there are black spots that the CCTV cameras will be put up there and people can be identified and prosecuted. There are issues regarding GDPR compliance and stuff like that, but that's being over, 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 um, being worked now to get that sorted on the spot fines for listening and so forth. Um, but I think, I think that it's definitely the stick works to a certain degree but if we can raise awareness across the country that it's unpatriotic, it's it's against our people, it's against our countryside, dump litter and throw litter around and keep sending that message out everywhere we can, it might actually help. We also we do a lot of work on this. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. economy and even the there was a debate about coffee cups and you know reusing reusable coffee cups and all that stuff uh, rather than having the disposable coffee cups which again you see all over the place mm-hmm. you know so it's a huge issue uh, it's very evident this time of the year when the um, vegetation is cut back and when it when, when, when it has started growing and and um, we, we, we we really need to uh, highlight it and get more awareness and more responsibility out there. We love our country, but this is not showing love for our country yeah. when people are doing this kind of okay, thing. OK, well said, well said. And just before I let you go, I mentioned um, earlier about um, a possible extension of the, the eviction ban. And I know senior cabinet ministers were meeting last night to discuss whether to extend uh, the ban with the decision expected next week. Now, I know you're, you're not a member of the senior cabinet, but what is your own view and your own feeling on the extension of the, ex- of the eviction ban? I've had a number of people contacting me in the last number of weeks who have property. Um, one particular family have a property, it's rented out. Um, the son came back from abroad and his plan was to live in there, but he can't because it's rented out. The eviction ban won't allow them to actually ask the people, you know, look, we need our property back. So there's, there are two sides to this story. He's now, 
he's now actually homeless himself. He's living with his mother in a small room. Um, and I've had a number of, of, of those examples. So this isn't easy. Um, I think perhaps if it's a case that somebody just wants to sell a property, maybe the ban should, should be brought in there. Um, that maybe people could appeal a situation uh, like the first one I mentioned, if it's a family member who needs to live in a property, in their own property, uh, but they can't. Um, and I've had, as I say, a number of those um, representations from people who are saying, look, we have property, we own it, we, we, we bought it for this particular reason, but now we can't use it. So but, there's two sides to this. Yeah, but, uh, I, listen, I, and I absolutely, I absolutely see it from the land, from the landlord's uh, point of view as well. But we've, you know, we, we had a really heartbreaking email in from a listener last week, you know, living in fear that this eviction ban uh, yeah. is going to be lifted and her landlady will ring to, to say she's selling the property. And, 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 you know, we know that the eviction ban was introduced because the emergency accommodation yeah. was being o- overwhelmed. But I mean, that hasn't really gotten any better. The, the emergency accommodation is, is still overwhelmed. And a number of us have been pushing very, very hard. Uh, the and I know it was on some of the television programs last night. The need to bring back into use vacant properties all over the country and derelict properties. There's quite a sizable amount of money available, grant money available for that. So you can get thirty thousand if you have a vacant property to do it up and rent it out, and you can get um, another twenty thousand on top of that if it's derelict. And then there are SEI grants on top of that again. Um, but I, there's one one colleague of mine has told me that in the town he lives in, there are 100 vacant properties from one end to the other. And in every town and village and out in the country, you'll find empty houses, vacant houses, properties that could be remodged. And you don't need planning permission. The service is already there. It's just a matter of, in some cases, doing them up and, and renting them out. Um, so we're trying to encourage that. Uh, and I, that, that's kind of low-hanging low fruit, in my view. Waterford have done a lot of work in that. I know Cork County Council are doing their best they can as well in this one. It's, it's, it's not easy. But there are houses all over the place that are empty and that haven't been used, and we're trying to get them back to those back to use. And, of course, building houses is the other one then, to, but, but uh, that takes longer. Whereas the ones that are already there, that are unoccupied, they're the ones we should be targeting yeah. really strongly. And I've been making that point in the doll the last while. In a, in a very strong way let's get these back into use and let's encourage and support the owners sometimes people can't afford to actually do the work on them that's why we have the grants available up to 50,000 for their lake property now plus the ACI grants on top of that Yeah there are grants available OK listen we leave it there David thank you for that very and well. uh, thanks for joining us on the programme that is Cork Eastall Deputy David Stanton on fly tipping and rubbish that David initially joined us on. Dave in East Cork says, I visit a lot of parks in uh, Cork, in the Little Island area and in the Yall area. The amount of rubbish thrown around the place is so disrespectful. Dave in East Cork reckons that it's from the younger age group, in particular secondary school students who are hanging around uh, the parks um, work hanging around hanging students in parks uh, it's it's like no one cares anymore people just walk, walk past and throw their litter on the ground and just walk on by people are just being utterly disrespectful thank you for that Dave to 0818 103 103 and just a clarification on the listener who had contacted me earlier wondering can you get your teeth cleaned when you are a medical card patient going to the dentist and I checked and teeth cleaning wasn't on it. Extractions were on it. Two fillings per year was on it. One visit to get your teeth checked per year uh, was on it. That's if you could get a dentist that's taking medical card patients. Well a number of people including Audrey have been on to say Patricia you are covered for a scale and polish on your medical card. It changed in December of last year. The reason I know says Audrey is I went in only this week and I went to pay and I was told, no, it's free since uh, December because somebody else had pointed out 
obviously prior to this the change in December that when you get your, your teeth cleaned for the first time you pay 38 euros with your medical card and the second time the sister paid 80 euro but it's free now and I'm assuming that's once a year when you go for your once a year checkup, you can get your teeth cleaned and polished so thank you glad to clarify that John Paul is taking your calls 0818 103 103 Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk CMIG Exciting times ahead for the people of Mitchellstown with the news that the planning notice for the Georgian Quarter development has been made public, revealing the council's proposals for the area. Local historian and author uh, Bill Power from Mitchellstown joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Bill. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're very welcome to the programme. Can, can you outline for listeners what is contained in the plans for this Georgian Quarter of Mitchellstown? Okay, well, the Georgian Quarter is defined roughly as between St. George's um, Church, as it was, you know, the Arson Heritage Centre, and King Square, Kingston College, and it includes uh, New Square. Everybody would know New Square is the square, really, which is used for parking and business in the town. So essentially, it's it's a plan to hugely enhance and improve the the, the views and the um, streetscape and the quality of, of life on those streets. And in doing so, then the plan or the thinking is that uh, the Georgian Quarter in Mitchellstown would become part of a bigger tourism product in North Cork, which would include Mallow Castle, um, Donrell Court and Ansgrove Gardens. And obviously Ansgrove Gardens, um, Donrell and Mallow are much more advanced in a sense than Mitchellstown is in this respect. So um, and that in turn, they would benefit the economy and the town in general. Yeah, so very much the plan here, it'll like hugely benefit the people of Mitchellstown. Uh, but yeah. but the spin-off will be, it'll be a great boost for tourism. Well, it's a boost for tourism because it's, the idea is that North Cork is packaged as a tourism product then, if you like. Um, and, you know, if you have people coming into a place that, that benefits everybody, they're going to buy cups of coffee, they're going to go into the local shops, um, they'll spend a bit of time in town. The idea is to have a, a better quality of life, particularly on George Street, as, as a much more attractive street in the town. And it is an attractive street as it is. But if you can bring people in into an area, then they'll spend money. And that, you know, that creates business, it creates jobs. And, you know, the theory and the practice, if it's done right, it benefits everybody. Yeah, 100%. Do people get a chance now to have their say on yeah. this proposal? The, the, this is very important, really. The the There's no public consultation process in place. Um, you know, there was public consultation last year and there before, as the preliminary stage for the plans, but all that is now null and void. So anybody with an opinion or a view needs to have a look at this online. They can see it in the local courthouse. They can see it in the library. Um, it's available in, in the municipal offices in Formoy as well. And it's an opportunity to go in, look at the plans, and we really, really, really want people to do this. Look closely at the plans. There are, there are going to be a lot of views on it. People are going to be happy about some things, which I totally understand because I have my own views on this myself um, but it is important that people make submissions including those who made previous submissions because those previous submissions are now null and void so you have to almost start off from scratch again and um, the idea is you've got six weeks to do this um, so go down and do it if you're interested in your town if you're interested in your locality it's important that you do this because the more submissions that, that the county council gets the better view they get in terms of how people feel about the plan 
things they like and things they don't like. Yeah, because because I, I know when I was uh, when I was looking at uh, some of the commentary that's been written about what you know what what are part of the plans. One of them is it's a one way system as proposed for the roadway surrounding King Square and Kingston College. Mm-hmm. Now, you'll, that's right. uh, often when when uh, towns or parts of the city decide to go one way, that doesn't suit everybody. No, it doesn't. Uh, look, one of one of the one of the premises of, of this plan is that traffic shouldn't dominate everything that that's one of the approaches and i would agree with that um so in in a situation like king square it's quite obvious that that one-way system actually makes sense now there are other people who have a different view on that and if people have that view they need to express it mm. um similarly they, there are things that i would like to have done in george street either done or not done as the case may be it's my obligation as a citizen to make my submission on that um, so the, the, you'll get, I think where the, the sticking point in Mitchellstown is going to be, is going to be in relation to um, parking and um, the layout of New Square. There's a radical change proposed in that. And um, look, I, I can understand there's a lot of concern about that. Wait, will you, you lose? Know, you will, will, uh, and I was going to bring up about parking because whenever there's any reconfiguration of footpaths or roadways or change, changing a road to one-way mm-hmm. system, parking inevitably, people go, oh my goodness, are we going to lose or gain parking spaces? Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, I see in the plans, I mean, they're talking about 57 uh, new parallel parking uh, spaces on Georgia Street. Will mm-hmm. Ultimately, will you lose parking or will you gain parking, do you think? Um, well, I know that what, what is being proposed um, is that there will be 36 less parking spaces in New Square. OK. I know that there are additional spaces proposed for King Street and George Street. The exact numbers in those, no, I don't know offence, to be quite honest. But I think potentially overall um, the, the concern will be that since New Square is seen as the business centre of the town, a loss of 36 um, parking spaces there would be quite significant. And also the proposal to relocate the parking in the square. At the moment, there's, if you like, parking in the entire square in sort of not in the best layout, it has to be said. No. And I was involved in the layout of the square back in the, the around 2000. Um, <clears throat> and we weren't particularly happy with that at the time. So this plan would aim to redress that. But the, the change in the square is um, really would end up with all the parking across the top. And I know there'll be a lot of views about that. Yeah, but um, as you say, now is the opportunity with this public consultation. Yes. Um, how do people access the public consultation? How long is it open for? Um, it's open for six weeks starting uh, yesterday. Um, so I can't remember the closing date off, and, but add right, six but weeks six, to okay. that. Okay, all right. Well, it's a good, a and nice you know, period of time. Yeah, well, I mean, don't leave it to the last minute. No, no. We're all good at that, right? Yeah, yeah. Don't leave it to the last minute. Um, no, the the... The way this is going to go is there will be um, submissions made by members of the public. The more, the merrier. Um, the officials in the council will assess that. Then it goes back to the county councillors. And the county councillors ultimately have the vote on this. So, you know, th- th- this is where the process of public consultation really comes into play. Because obviously, and the councillors are elected by us and they represent us. So in that sense, um, the more submissions, the better. Now, uh, the, the at that stage, then let's let's say that elements of the plan are, are approved, elements are not approved because that's life. Um, then this will become part of a proposal um, to the government to get several millions invested into Mitchellstown. 
So this this is the a significant step towards getting those millions, and there is no guarantee that that the millions will come. Mm-hmm. The plans are very extensive. Now, one of the things that has already been flagged here is that if you want a hard copy of the plan, and here is something that you know, before people get the shock, um, the a physical copy of the plan is seven hundred and forty six euros. Oh, that's a bit steep. Yeah. Yes. And and when the plan went public yesterday, we became aware of that. Now you can view it, view it online for free. Yeah. But not everybody has access. No, and no. I can tell you, having downloaded it or, or tried to look at it, it's, it's they're very large files. So they, you know, if you haven't got fast internet, you'll be waiting a small while. Um, but the the figure is seven hundred and forty six uh, euros for the complete document, and uh, what's the, the the I have it there somewhere is two hundred and something for just the plans, the maps. And is and there is the there all is is, is is that the norm? Is there always such high charges for those plans? Well, it's news to me. Yeah, to be quite honest. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 if you're having a public consultation process, then charging figures like that is not, you know, the best no. way of going about it. No, no, I agree. I um, I agree. And are they know. are they on display? You know, the way you'll often see them on display in a local library, or are they on display locally? Yeah, they they are on display in, in the courthouse at Mitchellstown, okay. the former courthouse now. And in the library in Mitchellstown. Okay. Um, there are notices up around town. Um, I've seen them in New Square, George Street, King Square. Um, basically saying to people that con- these are available for consultation. So nobody has an excuse of saying, I didn't know about this or I didn't have time to go up. I really, really, really emphasize with people, they need to go up. I'm not going to tell anybody what way they should go with this thing, but they need to go to one of the, these buildings and have a look at these plans or go online and look at it. Um, but you must make a submission. Then, if you're if you're serious about, you know, I want this to happen, or I don't want this to happen, then you must make. You really have an obligation to make a submission. Yeah. Don't be going around the place complaining about it. <laughs> make a submission. Yeah. Now, now is your you chance. Know. Okay. And I can't. Chance, uh, and yeah. uh, and it would be remiss of me to have you on the program and not ask you about the wonderful St George's Art and Heritage uh, Centre. <laughs> How are things going? Where are you at with it? What are anything up and coming that's going to be happening well, at the centre? Yeah, we, we, we're about to announce a, a series of, of concerts and events over the next few months, uh, actually up to the end of the year. Um, probably one of the bigger ones that everybody would know is Red Hurley. He'll be coming to us in September. The wonderful um, Red Hurley. The wonderful Red Hurley, Mr. Red Hurley, yes. Um, and I'm happy to say he actually contacted us for the performance at George's, which is nice. Um, and we're going to have a history conference again this uh, this coming August. Um, we've got, we gotten funding from uh, Cork County Council towards that. And I have to say the County Council, the Department of, of uh, Arts, the Department of Heritage, various government departments, they really have been very supportive of St. George's since we started. And we always appreciate that, you know. Um, and the other part of that is that St. George's is going to be the interpretive centre for the Georgian Quarter in Mitchellstown. So from all points of view, the Georgian Quarter is very important and it's important that it's done right because we've been a, we're, an, we're another potential beneficiary of the Georgian Quarter. Yeah, it's um, just, so it's just so brilliant you know, what you've done with that old church and, and bringing it back to oh, yeah. life. It's it's fantastic. Well, well we have we, we now have to pay the bills. I know. We have a loan of, of 120 or 30,000 that has to be paid back and all this kind of thing. So it's a constant um, fight to keep going and to, to keep events happening and that 
we're getting there. Good. You know? Good to hear. Bill, we'll talk again. Always a pleasure. Thank you for that. Yeah. And Bye, uh, thanks for joining us. Bye bye. Bill Power, a well known author and historian from Mitchellstown. We're going to Black Rock where Claire Cronin joins me. Good morning, Claire. Hi, how are you? Uh, you spotted walking on sunshine straight away? Oh, I did, listening all week. <laughs> and ha- have you entered on other days? Oh, definitely, oh. definitely. Okay, well, you, the last day has proven lucky for you. Got a quick question for you. <laughs> if you are heading to the beach, don't forget to take A, a paper towel, or B, a beach towel. A beach towel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> it absolutely... My mum will be delighted. Will she? So do we... Yeah, fingers crossed. We take it it's Mammy Cronin you're going to bring with you? It is, it is, yeah. Is it? Have you been on holidays with her before? I actually haven't. Not not the two of us, no. Like the family, yes, but not the two of us. So it'd be brilliant. Be lovely to do a mother and daughter trip, wouldn't it? It would, it would. Yeah. Okay, we... we If we we win. If we win. Well, your name is on a boarding pass now that I pass on to Nick Richards. Keep the phone on at two o'clock, Claire. Because you could get the call. Oh, brilliant. Thank Fingers you so crossed much. for you and thanks for entering. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Claire Cronin in Black Rock, our latest qualifier for the C103 Sunshine Song on the summer getaway. Uh, one more opportunity with Nick this afternoon to enter before he makes the draw at two o'clock today. 0818 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts that have been coming in throughout the morning. Um, Still getting commentary in reacting to Nancy, who contacted us when I mentioned about the Chief Medical Officer, uh, Professor Breda Smith, telling older people to go back out and to re-engage with the world and go back to doing the things that you loved doing before the start of the pandemic because she's very much aware that there are a lot of very lonely people who have almost, in some cases, becoming have become reclusive are in are in danger of becoming reclusive because they simply don't want to leave their homes and that prompted Nancy to contact us to say she's kind of feels she's one of those she seems to be happy in her own company and happy at home and has kind of got into a little bit of a rush and the thought of even getting sort of dressed up and spruced up and go, going out just puts her off completely and she just is staying at home. Uh, Margaret says 100% agree with Nancy I'm exactly the same and to be honest I'm happy out at home. I was in hospital at Christmas I was actually hospitalised with COVID. I was very unwell and then I was sick again over the last uh, two weeks. So very mindful of uh, minding your health. Well, I think you can, I I think that was one of the things that uh, the Chief Medical Officer was making the point is to go back out there. You can, you'd still need to look after yourself and mind yourself and don't be around people who you feel might be unwell or might be uh, spreading disease or infection. But it's just, you've got to be careful that you don't end up in that sort of cycle where you're never going to leave the house again and that's, it, it's no way to live. I think it's it's no way to live. I think that is the message that um, Professor Breda Smith is, is trying to get out to people. Ellen uh, says some of our services need to open up like they did before COVID. For example, like taxing your car. Everything now has to be done by making an appointment either over the phone or online. It's the same if you go into a bank. You need to make an appointment first. City Hall is similar. You used to be able to just walk into those places but you can't do that anymore. If they want to encourage people to get back out and resume normal life, then I think this work
working from home business has to stop. We need to get our offices, particularly our public offices, back up and open again and dealing with the members of the public. If they opened up things so that people could go out and maybe pay their bills, it would encourage people to go out and uh, about. Ellen said when you go into a bank now, they don't even want you to deal with people. They simply point you in the direction of a machine. So a lot of things changed because of COVID and we need to revert that back if we want people to go out and start resuming normal lives or the lives they had before uh, COVID. And by email, hi uh, Patricia, I know a lot of older people and from chatting to them, they find a lot of groups now seem to have waiting lists. For example, if they want to become a member of a day centre, there's a waiting list. Men's sheds, I'm surprised here there's a waiting list on men's sheds because most men's sheds would contact us, say they're always looking for new members. But according uh, to Liz, she's heard of waiting uh, lists. Then you've got others centres uh, that have closed down altogether since COVID and haven't opened up. Others have reopened but people are only able to ac- access them one day a week whereas before they could go on many more days. I really feel that they should focus on fixing the problems when it comes to these groups, particularly groups that are aimed at older people. Maybe more funding is needed, employ extra staff and it would be of great benefit to all of the communities and especially great benefit to carers and to their families. So, you know, so maybe that's something that you medical officer needs to look at while she's suggesting that people need to get back out and doing things. She's got to make sure that the services are there so that people can go back out and can start to re-engage with the world. And then she was in particular talking about loneliness and talking about one of the best prescriptions for health is to go back and engage and to interact with people uh, But and she's very much putting her emphasis on loneliness. That's prompted somebody to say please don't call out my name which is fine. Um, I hear you talking about loneliness. Well the problem we have in our household is is my son, who's coming up to 15 years of age. He's finding life very lonely. He's an only child and he actually got upset yesterday talking about it, saying he doesn't have any friends, doesn't go anywhere other than he goes to school. He does he does karate, but there's no mixing at karate. It's very much training, but there's, there's no real mixing. He also is learning to play the guitar, but that's one-on-one uh, lessons. And I'm wondering... In, contacting you to say today to find out are there other parents out there that find themselves in the same situation we live in an area that unfortunately there's no other teenagers around there's nobody else his age that he can hang out with and you know form a little group with and I'm wondering where can he go to mix with people his own age he is a funny sensitive young man I'd drive him anywhere uh, to get him to interact with other people his own age we're living in the Kilworth area please don't call out my uh, name and I'm sure you your son isn't on their own and it's great if you live you know if you're in a housing estate and there's lots of children the same age and you know I think myself when I grew up you know there was children around in the neighbourhood where I lived and we all got up and we played together and then then as teenagers you know you become friends or you make friends in school and and, and I'm assuming he doesn't live close to the school so maybe none of his classmates uh, are living anywhere nearby. (laughs) He needs to sort of join something. I mean it's great that he has hobbies. He has his karate and he has his uh, guitar. So I take if he's, in, he's not into team sports because obviously when you become a member like the local GEA club or the rugby club or the soccer club normally friendship groups form out of that but that mightn't be his thing and not everyone is sporty and obviously his sport and what he's enjoying are the martial arts like uh, karate um, I'm trying to think of what else he could join I mean I don't know are there youth clubs anymore are the, are the, are the youth clubs still around he's probably too old to join something like 
the Boy Scouts, you kind of have a tendency, I was a girl guide, but you joined as a brownie and you kind of grew up then into the, the girl guide. So it's maybe too old uh, for that. So let's put it out there. North Cork area, as I say, mum is willing to drive anywhere because uh, she's feeling such a level of sadness for her son, particularly when he got upset about it. And he's recognising the fact that he doesn't have uh, many friends. Where can he go to interact with people his own age? Ideally somewhere in the North Cork uh, area or maybe even into the city. But then ideally, I think the North Cork area where he lives because we'd be better off if he had friends living close close enough by. If anyone can suggestions and, and and you know and I'm sure this listener is right that you're not on your own. There are probably other parents uh, listening and can identify with that particularly when it's an only child. If there's siblings siblings can be great to be friends. Now siblings teenage siblings can also fight a lot as well and people will identify with that. But if anybody has any suggestions for this North Cork mum let us know please 0818 103 103 text or WhatsApp 086 to 103103 on electricity bills. Here's a great text that came in from one of our uh, listeners saying, hi, Patricia, I, I, this is about getting on to your provider when you have a problem with your bill. And this listener is with Electric Ireland. I got on to Electric Ireland and a very nice person answered uh, the phone. But to be honest with you, they if, if people are going down that route, I can tell you now, you don't expect any real help, certainly any real financial help. I'm an 80 year old person. I don't know if it's male or female. I was born during the war. And back then we had the thriftiest of parents and we developed those same habits of just being very careful with the pounds, shillings and pence. Now, when I rang Electric Ireland about a very large bill, I was first advised about my clothes dryer. What dryer? I never had one, I said. Then I was asked, what about your dishwasher use? I've never had one of those either. It went on and on and on. The girl eventually put me through to their loyalty team. I was surprised that they have one. I've never heard of that before either. Between gas and electricity, I've been paying around €40 Euro per week. I pay it in advance so that when the bill comes in, I've always been in credit. I'm now paying nearly €100 Euro per week between the gas bill and the electricity bill and I still am not in credit when the bill arrives. By the way, I've arranged to go back to uh, paper bills. Thanking you in advance. Please don't read out my personal details other than it is one of our uh, city listeners. And and you're doing everything right in, and a lot of people do that. They pay a little bit every single week into the gas, into the electricity so that when the bill arrives and like that, a lot of people up to when the electricity and gas started to go so high. Many people were in credit. The bill would arrive in. They don't absolutely nothing. And they might have they might have up to 100 euro ready off the next bill and they continue to pay the 40 euro every week. But to go from 40 to 100 euro and I take it the fact you're talking about the thriftiness. You don't have a clothes dryer. You don't have a dishwasher. You're watching your electricity use. use you haven't, you're not excessively using your gas or electricity. And the going by that from 40 euro, which would keep you in credit up to 100 euro a week, you have more than doubled what you had been paying in the past. And you're still still got a bill coming through uh, the door. Uh, yeah, and you're not on your own. You really are not on your own. There's so many other people t- saying similar things that they're trying to do their best. They're trying to cut down on everything and yet they end up with ginormous bills. And this is from Julie uh, by email, I think. Hi Patricia, I heard you talk about that 100-year-old woman, Kitty, who got the enormous electricity bill. Yeah, Kitty's bill got help her in County Mead, a thousand euro. Perhaps she would be better helped to 
uh, the man who's helping that's her nephew might be able to set up smaller payments over a longer period of time. We've heard a lot about electricity suppliers and their hardship funds but I've never heard of anyone that's benefited from them. That lady Kitty and others who are contacting you who are struggling with their electricity bills would benefit from the support and advice from the Society of Vincent de Paul. That's just some of my thoughts and I hope it helps. Thank you for that uh, Julie and actually you are right about hardship funds. All of the energy providers, I'm, I think I'm right in saying that, all of hardship funds. Electric Ireland was certainly one of the first to, the first I, I remember hearing about their hardship fund. They set up one initially during the COVID pandemic as, and, and it was also as a re- result of the increasing energy costs. And back in March of 2021, they announced a, a two million hardship fund and that was to help people get through uh, COVID. Then last autumn, because obviously the bills continued to go up in 2021, they went up again in 2022. They put in an additional three million into that hardship fund to help people who have difficulty paying bills. But as I say, we're hearing from people to say we contacted Electric Ireland and they didn't offer us anything from the hardship fund. So I've checked it out. What happens with the hardship fund for Electric Ireland, and I'm assuming this is the same for all of the energy providers who have hardship funds, they partner with the Society of St Vincent de Paul and MABS and they give out energy credits. So if somebody is in a position that they can't pay in this case, it's Electric Ireland. You need to be a customer, I think, for 12 months in order to access the hardship fund. But you're going to have to go through either your local MABS or you'll have to go through your local, contact your local St Vincent de Paul office and they have the funds, they have the money and they can help you out, particularly if you're an Electric Ireland customer. As I say, I'm open to correction, but I'm sure all of the male energy providers have uh, hardship funds. So it isn't when you contact Electric Ireland they're not going to be able to say to you, oh, we'll take, you know, for for all Kitty with the thousand euro, you know, we'll take 300 or 400 off it. But if Kitty's nephew who's been working with her, if perhaps he goes to Mab's or goes to the local Vincent de Paul, they should be able to help her out. And that's a good piece of advice for anybody else who is struggling with a huge bill that they've received. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See Cork Coco. And let's start with the cancellation for tonight and that's uh, Kildallery Bingo. That's been cancelled and it's due to a local bereavement. Your last chance to see Tully Lee's Drama Group's performance of Tommy Marin's play Nobody's Talking to Me. It's running this weekend, Friday and Sunday in Tully Lee's Hall, 8 o'clock nightly, not to be missed. Social dancing is on in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic tonight. Dancing is from 9pm to midnight. Music is by C&M Sound. Admission is €10 and that includes teas. And today, Friday, March the 3rd, has been designated as World Day of Prayer. You can celebrate with an ecumenical service at the All Saints Church in Kilmaluda. That's at 8 o'clock. St Mary's Church of Ireland in Donorail. They've got an international and interdenominational service. That's at 8.15. And this year's service has been written by the Women of Taiwan. Bingo is on in Mallow GAA Complex tonight. Jackpot of 5,000 
200 euro eyes down 815 and a fundraising night of bingo music and karaoke will be held in Jay's Bar and Beer Garden New Square in Mitchellstown it's on tonight with an 8 o'clock start proceeds from tonight are in aid of Tim Joe Foley who was involved in a serious accident last year and he is facing a very lengthy recovery Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance CMIG and um, when we were mentioning about people getting back out and the chief medical officer suggesting to particularly older people to start re-engaging with the world uh, again uh, following being stuck indoors because of COVID. Mary said, I used to love to go to bingo in Canturk, but it never came back anymore after COVID. And I'm wondering, will it ever come back again? Does anybody know about the bingo in uh, Canturk? And that actually ties in with a number of listeners are saying that, that many of the activities that was there before COVID, they're either not back or the ones that have come back or limited or there's waiting uh, lists for day centres etc. So that could be a problem that the chief medical officer hasn't really taken on board when she's saying to people you know that they need to go back out and re-engage. It's all very well to go back out and re-engage but if the services or the social events or whatever people went to it wasn't back up and running it is is certainly a bit of a dilemma uh, for people now a lot of people commenting on the mum who contacted us when I was talking about loneliness in older people she said what about loneliness in younger people and she outlined her young her son who is coming up to his 15th birthday and he's he's very lonely he's an only child there's no young people his age living in the area where they live. His hobbies to date are karate, which is, and he hasn't really made friends through the karate club. And he plays guitar, but the guitar is a one-on-one uh, lesson. And outside of school, he doesn't have, you know, any sort of social events. And, and he's starting to talk about it himself, that he'd love to, you know, have friends outside of school and, and engage and get, get involved with people. Uh, some of your thoughts on that. Hi, Patricia. I also had an only child. It was only when he, when he was went to work that he made real friends. So sometimes teenagers just don't make friends. Someone else says all teenagers today seem to spend most of their lives sat in front of screens, either on Playstations at home or on their phones. There's very little for teenagers out there to do these days. Teens then turn, now some, turn to vandalism and other antisocial behaviour. We need more youth clubs as I think these young people have been forgotten about. Someone else says there's a kayaking club in Mallow that might be a good suggestion for your listener. And then we got a plethora of texts and comments all suggesting the same thing, including Michael Patricia. Can I suggest that that young lad uh, tries and finds a Faroiga club to get involved with? Not sure if there's one in his area or not, but it gives them the opportunity to mix, take part in various activities and can I wish the best of luck to him and to his family. And lots of other suggestions with people actually sending on links to faroiga.ie so mum might look that up online to find out which is the nearest club and Anne-Marie says Hi Patricia listening to that heartbreaking story of the lonely teenager 
Amory is also suggesting has he tried Faroiga? Faroiga is an amazing organisation which offers a wide range of activities to all teenagers so I'm sure he'll find some activities to suit him. Also his guitar playing would be most welcomed at a Faroiga club. His mum can check out online for the nearest Faroiga club or just simply ring their head office. He would have the opportunity in Faroiga for lots and lots of friends and he'd have lots of fun. I hope this helps. So thank you to everybody who has pointed out um, for OIGA that uh, really is um, uh, that wonderful organisation, absolutely wonderful organisation. So for OIGA.ie, if anybody wants to check that out, but particularly our mum in uh, Kilworth. Hi Patricia, did you hear about the man who got uh, an electricity bill for €1,770? He had an electric horse walker. I have only one small bill taking into into account the supplement. Now we do have oil heating. I got oil last September. It cost me around €900. I probably will need to get more soon. We do have a stove in the sitting room. So this is somebody questioning how much electricity they're using. Now the gentleman you're talking about, I did highlight his case yesterday. He did say he has this electric horse walker but he says he hasn't used the electric horse walker in about 12 years. He says they're doing nothing different in the household. He lives with his son and daughter-in-law uh, who are both out at work. He's generally speaking out of the house most days. He says they're doing nothing different in their electricity usage but his last electricity bill was €680 Euro, I think and then it jumped to that massive bill of uh, nearly €1,800 Euro. but it's nothing to do with the electric horse walker. He says he uh, doesn't use it. And hi Patricia, the latest uh, scam to let you know about I just got it now it says ESB you are eligible for a discounted electricity under the energy support scheme you can apply here and there's a link to it Uh, I'm surely I surely have got caught but my phone sent it directly into my scam folder. I would have got copies as the phone sent it into my scam folder. Just warning uh, people about that. That's from Sheila. Now that's certainly a new one on me. So keep a lookout for that. And again, uh, the very again when you read the wording on a lot of these scams, you can clearly see that they are scams. Uh, firstly, the ESB is the ESB network. Uh, the 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 ESB it would be Electric Ireland are offering discounted electricity. I mean the ESB don't have, you don't get ESB bills anymore, you get Electric Ireland, Pinergy, Electricity, whatever it is. So straight away you can see that that is a scam. But yes, with people getting high bills, people might be prompted to uh, click on that link. So please do keep a lookout for that. The other one that's doing the rounds is the one saying that you all were told that's another scam as well. They're changing all of the time. This is the Court Today replay on C103. After the movies with uh, Mark Malone, who joins me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. And you're very welcome. Okay, you watched uh, two movies for us this week. One is Cocaine Bear and the other is We Have a Ghost. Okay, a quick trailer from Cocaine Bear. There's an area called Blood Mountain. The pilots know where to drop our load. We just go get it. Where's the duffel? The bear ate most of it. What? A bear did cocaine. Just play dead. A bear. It loves coke. Go! Now, I've seen uh, trailers for this on TV. This looks like a very funny movie. 
Um, yes, funny yeah. but gory. Let me make that quite oh, clear. Oh, is it gory? Oh, very much so. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I completely misunderstood what this was going to be about. <laughs> it's based on a true story, actually. Um, I, first of all, I knew about this film uh, back in 2021 because uh, I had a friend who went for a part uh, in the film, but uh, they didn't get it. And uh, I said, "What's what's this thing? It's up in Wicklow. You're you're making this thing." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's a it's a big American movie, and uh, it's about a, a bear that does cocaine." And I was like, "Oh, come on!" And he's like, "No, no, it's got Ray Liotta." And it's going to be big. And I thought I thought he was joking me at first, but no. Uh, but it is based on a true story. Um, back in 1985, I think it was, uh, uh, this guy um, dropped a load of drugs in a forest in Georgia. And um, a bear ate all the drugs and died. Um, the bear exists, by the way, if you'd like to see it. I think it's somewhere in Kentucky. They, they, <laughs> they decided to... Um, Stuff it. To stuff it. And it's on is display. It, is, is that, yeah. And it became known as... Taxidermist. Yeah. There's yeah, no other way of saying it. They stuffed it, yeah. They stuffed it, yeah. yeah. And, uh, it a became, great big bear. Yeah, and it became known as the cocaine bear. And uh, so that's where the writers of this uh, kind of got the idea. So uh, in this film, um, again, drugs are left in a forest. Uh, along comes the bear. The bear um, ingests all of the, the cocaine and just goes absolutely crazy and uh, becomes addicted to the cocaine. And because there's plenty of it in the forest, it goes constantly in search for uh, the cocaine. And then humans get in the way. And um, this is directed uh, by Elizabeth Banks, who directed uh, Pitch Perfect 2 and uh, The Terrible Charlie's Angels. And I did kind of wonder, I kind of, oh, yeah. I thought, oh, you know, does she have a really a kind of a future when it comes to directing? But she's done very, very well here. As I say, it was made here. It was made up in Wicklow for a couple of reasons. Apparently, she said that, uh, you know, the forests uh, up in Wicklow look very like Georgia okay. and um, she also said because they made it around 2021 our Covid numbers were small so they decided look let's come to Ireland and uh, and let's make this thing um, the, the problem with this film though I'm going to warn people you said you saw there's lots of kind of TV advertising on yeah, this yeah that makes it look like a very sort of a fun movie <laughs> yeah the thing is the thing the, the trailer became kind of went viral because it's one of the great trailers and that's one of the problems I mean you know trailers for me sometimes give away too much of the plot whoever made the trailer really knew what they were doing and unfortunately for a lot of people the film didn't quite live up to the the, the trailer the trailer looked as if it was going to be much more bloody and it was going to be much more funny and much more interesting in that kind of B-movie kind of a way uh, and unfortunately I don't think the film necessarily lives up to that but it is still very very entertaining and I think that Elizabeth Banks has set out to make a B-movie I mean it is a small budget film I think it was about 35 million uh, most of that uh, budget went on the CGI bear and at times trust me the CGI is a bit ropey you know what I mean but at, there are yeah. times when the bear looks uh, absolutely terrific so she was setting out I think to make kind of a B-movie movie and in that sense people kind of are a little bit cynical about it and thinking well she didn't really quite get there but most of the time she does most of the time it is very very scary it is gory it is you know you do get shocked there are kind of jump scares and um, there are also incredibly funny moments and laugh out loud moments I mean you know I laughed out loud on a number of occasions um, my daughter saw it a few days before me with her friends and I did say look you know give me a review and she said, she said needed more bear <laughs> which I thought okay. Okay. Which right. I thought was kind of interesting for me. It, not necessarily. I think. Uh, I think. I think the bear. You know, we see enough of the bear. What I would have liked, though, is that um, a bit of a bit of a spoiler. We do do find out that uh, the bear, uh, the poor bear who uh, ingests all of this cocaine, uh, is a mother with cubs. And I think at the very start of the film, I think if we had seen that, we'd have uh, had uh, a little bit more kind of feelings for the bear. We would care for the bear a little bit more because as soon as we see the bear, it eats the cocaine. It becomes absolutely wild and mad and crazy, and so it becomes a killer.
Um, and so I suppose for me, you know, that's where, you know, they could have done that maybe a little bit better. Um, but and the, the other problem is that you don't particularly care about the people very much either. They're not very, very nice people and um, in the film. And that, for me, was a problem. But look, it uh, where does it work? It works, as I say, in jump scares. It works uh, in gore. And it works in comedy. And, uh, do you know, it's an hour and a half long. It's 95 minutes long. Perfect. And it's been a huge hit in the United States, which yeah. once again proves what I've been saying all along. You don't have to make three-hour movies. This idea that people will only come back to the cinema if they feel they're getting their money's worth. They'll get their money's worth if they enjoy the film. And at a solid 95 minutes, I think, uh, for me, the film worked. I enjoyed it uh, much more more than some people did and I thought it was entertaining and you know we, me when it comes to gore I thought the gore was fine yeah did you okay yeah. alright but it's not for children gosh no it's, it's, a, it's no Paddington Bear it's a 16 cert okay <laughs> no. No. it's a 16 cert so, okay. that even for people by the way of 16 over might find some of the gore maybe a little bit yeah, too much I mean, I, I don't do gore so I, w- I would be like if, it, if I was watching this at home if it ever ends up on TV you could have I, a problem I'd be watching it behind a pillow going yeah. is it gone is it gone is it gone uh, yeah. sadly it's Ray Liotta's last film by the way uh, ah. yeah but there is a character called Ray Ranger Liz, which is played by a woman called Margot Martindale, who's been working, you know, in movies since the 80s. She's a, it's a name you won't recognise, but it's a face you will. And she was absolutely terrific in the film. And I want to see more of her. Now, give me, give me, a, give me her in a lead in a, in a, in a, in a cocaine bear film. And you'll be, be there. OK, yeah. mark it out of 10. I'll give it seven. Seven out of 10. OK, that's uh, cocaine bear. And then you watched a second movie for us called We Have a Ghost. Uh, th- yep, this is on uh, Netflix. Uh, why they released it at this time of the year and uh, not for... Uh, you know, not in October. I have no idea, but they decided to do so uh, anyway. And it's, um, I think, you know, the thing with we have a ghost is the problem with it are all the problems are all the things where I think Cocaine Bear succeeds. It's over two hours long and it is way, way too long. It's not really very scary. Um, it's not really necessarily funny, funny enough. And um, and for me, you know, all of those problems, you know, couldn't be solved by a very, very good cast. You know, Anthony Mackey and his family, uh, they come to a brand new house. There's hints that uh, there's a ghost in the house, uh, his teenage, his troubled teenage son, because of course they always have to have a troubled teenager yeah. in these films uh, is up in the attic. And the thing is, is that he comes in contact with the ghost uh, and um, the ghost kind of comes running out and goes and, uh, and he's not frightened. And in fact he thinks it's really funny and puts up his phone and you think, well hang on now a second. You, you, yeah. you would think, uh, you know, that... Um, that he would be scared and then he introduces the ghost to his family they're not scared until the mother comes in and then she is frightened and that's a very very funny scene and it's a very very kind of uh, interesting scene the problem with then is that I thought it was going to be like the ghost of Mrs. Muir like you know they'll have a, a ghost who they'll try and hide from people and yeah, he'll scare and, people and everyone and, will like but it's not that at all in oh. fact what the father decides to do is he decides look it's a money making opportunity uh, takes the film that they made of the ghost uh, he puts it up online on YouTube uh, to make money and, um, and then the uh, ghost becomes this kind of celebrity. Uh, ghost is played by David Harbour, brilliantly, by the way, can I point out. But at no stage does he talk in the film because apparently he can't talk. He can make these noises. Whoa. Um, but um, they want to try and find out. The young boy tries to find out about his history and to try and find out why he can talk. So uh, obviously Harbour, <laughs> when he was offered the role, they obviously said, we're going to give you all this money and you don't have to learn a script. And he probably thought, yeah, that's uh, for me. That's Thanks an very easy much. One, yeah. The problem then is that the film decides that uh, instead of just being a light kind of comedy about uh, a ghost that lives in a house, uh, you know, 
know, it has to make, you know, like a lot of modern films, it's got to kind of always patronise us, really, in a way. And, you know, to, you know, tell us about the dangers of social media. It also kind of um, has its say on American politics and gender politics and race. And it feels as though it's got to kind of make all of these kind of political points, which I think is a terrible pity and a, a, a terrible shame. I'm good. Jennifer Coolidge is in it, by the way. And we love Jennifer Coolidge. And she plays this kind of TV medium. She is terrific. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to reveal a secret right? Yeah. You know on Netflix how you can speed up the movies? You didn't. I was forty five minutes into this thing and it's over two hours long and I thought and it was getting late and I thought I can't, so I, I sped it up. So, and that's how I watched it. I have to. <laughs> but so it is very. But the, fr- the frustrating thing is that it's very sweet at the end. It yeah. really is, and unfortunately, like a lot of movies that kind of leave their best to the very end, you come away with it on a kind of a high and think, "Oh, that was nice, and that was strange, and uh, that was good." Uh, but then you kind of think, "Oh, the previous hour." They, and, they could have had a chunk in the middle. You know, forty-five minutes. And, and also, I wonder if they had decided to release it around Halloween. Would it have could it have captured a bigger audience? Possibly, maybe. Yeah, it's yeah. very odd why they decided not to. But um, yeah, unfortunately, I, I I don't think it's particularly good. Yeah. Okay, mark it out of ten. Oh, five. For, oh, okay. <laughs> we have a go. Actually, when you're talking of uh, Netflix, I watched it's it's one of those you know dra- documentaries. There's just um, three episodes in it. The Murdoch murders. Well worth a watch if anybody wants to see it. And the case culminated with. I heard the court, the court case. It was it was yesterday, wasn't it? Was it was yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well worth the watch. But I just while, while I have you in studio, mm-hmm. we had uh, Pat Short, Pat and Faye Short, uh, joined us in studio during the week, and obviously I was talking to uh, Pat's really busy m- movie wise, uh, and there's so many movies going on in Belfast. He's actually involved in three movies at the, at the wow. moment. But we ended up obviously talking about the Banshees of uh, Vina Sheeran, and he was saying how disappointed he was the Sags. They didn't pick up anything at the SAGs. And that's the Screen Actors Guild. I don't think they should. There's no, they, but why would they be disappointed? I mean, you well, know, the film has done really well. Yeah, it's, but they were expecting because that's the screen. It's the actors themselves, isn't it, voting in the SAGs? Yeah, but at the same time, I think, you know, um, look, they've got nothing to kind of be disappointed about. You know, they've been, look, look the Oscars are coming up. They, the, the BAFTAs, they did very well at the BAFTAs. You know, um, how many awards do you need? You know, yeah. the, the important thing is that they made a lovely movie. And I went back and watched it actually the other day and I concentrated on Barry Keoghan and his performance. And I just... He got the BAFTA for it, didn't he? I was blown away because, I, because when I first watched it, I was watching them all. I was watching, you know, the, the scenery. I was watching, the, you know, the, the, the narrative and the story. And I went back and I concentrated on him and I just, I do think he's extraordinary. But having look, I don't think awards necessarily make um, the, the success of a movie. But look, you know, they've won so many awards and so many plaudits and the film has done really well. And that's surely all that matters. But are the SAGs an indicator of the Oscars? No, I don't think so. Okay. No, I think All the Oscars right. are kind of a law unto themselves these days. Okay. You never know what uh, what's going to happen. And um, it, yeah, well, they're up against some very, very fine performances. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. because it was that movie, Everywhere, Everything, or whatever it's called. Yeah, which I thought was all right. I mean, it was very that, well directed. It was yeah. good, but uh, I didn't expect uh, people to like it as much as they have. Um, yeah, that I, I thought it was okay. With, 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 with so many words. Yeah. Actually, back to Barry in The, in the Banshees of Inishirin, I, I just, it, it, it must have come up on, on social media or something or on YouTube because I saw it. That scene where he's kind of asking the, the, the main, the girl, um, uh, would, does she fancy him? Yeah. It's, that is heartbreaking, it, isn't it? It is. It's ju- and his acting, his yeah. facial expressions, and 
And Martin McDonough, what is just an unreal. He's, yeah, he's I mean, unreal. That, that's what, yeah, and that's what I say. But that scene was extraordinary. And Barry Kilgan, I mean, like, there's no overacting. There's no method there. It's no. just somebody being, you know, a human being uh, hurt and disappointed and having to deal with it uh, ultimately in, a, in, a, in a, um, an extraordinary way. But, um, yeah, his performance in that movie, uh, for me, is, is my favourite. He's a great career ahead of him, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, I think he's might be the Joker, I think, in the near future. There was, uh, yeah, I think the last Batman film, there was one of those um, extra scenes at the end of uh, of, uh, of the, the titles uh, where he played the Joker. So, um, I mean, that would be that would be great to see him that. Do that would step yeah. him up onto another level. Yeah. OK, listen, as always, love chatting to you about the movies. Mark, okay. thank you for that and have a lovely week. And we'll chat again uh, next uh, Friday. That is uh, Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. Now, just quickly, let me go to some of your texts and commentary uh, coming in on uh, going, getting out and about and people reenacting with the world and going back out into the big beautiful world that's out there and the message that has come from the Chief Medical Officer particularly to older people. Joe and Kim Alex says, after my wife passed away I didn't go out for two years. I just stayed indoors but then went back out, pushed himself. Well done, Joe. And now I go out on Sundays and Wednesdays, social dancing, and I find it great. So please, please tell Nancy, do go out and get out again. It will give her the feel-good factor. Yeah, and, you know, bearing in mind the Chief Medical Officer said it's probably the best prescription for health is to get back and to re-engage and to, you know, start socialising with people again. And just on health, um, thank you. Martin sent me this in earlier. Apologies, Martin. We're only getting to it and now in West Cork. And this is got health implications in this. Um, Hi Patricia, I had an ultrasound of my heart six months ago. Delighted to say I got the all clear. But it got me thinking if we all, if every adult in the country, say at a certain age, if everyone got a test every two to three years, you go away, you get your blood tested, you get your blood pressure uh, checked, you get a urine sample, take a look at the bowels, a check of the heart ultrasound and maybe even an MRI on the brain to check for any potential blockages that could lead to a potential stroke. If all of these issues were clear and you got a check up, say, every two to three years, wouldn't it give you great confidence in your health and in your life? I also estimate it would save the HSE a fortune in preventative slash reactive medicine and it would keep people healthy longer. Yeah, and they could pre- and it's a little bit like the screening programmes that are already are up and running, the cancer screening programmes. I mean, they certainly have saved the HSE a fortune because if you can catch the cancer earlier. So good suggestion, Martin. And uh, good to hear that you got good results from your ultrasound. That's my leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul for producing. Nick Richards is up next. And good luck to everybody in the C103 Summer Getaway. Work today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.